Hello, and welcome back to The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. No opening this time. We're getting straight to the good stuff. Too much to talk about today as we approach the play-in and NBA playoffs. I am joined by our assistant manager of basketball content, Austin Vernon. Welcome back for the third time, Austin. Good to be back. Thank you for having me. All right, let's uh, jump right into things. I sent you a list of seven or eight topics Let's move kind of quickly through the fluff and see how much of the good stuff we can hit. I'm in. First one was, we just wrapped up a long 82-game season. Any major takeaways? Any key moments? What are you going to remember from this season? Just kind of a reflective, open-ended, what were your thoughts after we just wrapped up another round of 82? Yeah, I mean, my first thought is 82 is, is too many. Uh who watches more random league pass games than you and I do? So if I'm if I'm saying that 82 is too many, it's it's too many. I I saw Steve Kerr propose 72. I assume he did that because like a radical proposal like 50, which is honestly what I think is the right number, they would never go for because it it's just so much money. Um, but it's it's too many games. It's the end of this season is obviously uh, unique and, you know, a great opportunity <clears throat> for betters like you to take advantage because you watch so much and you know what's going on. But for just pure fans out there, it's it's a weird time in the NBA. I, I want to get to the playoffs. The beginning of the season early when football's still going, it sometimes feels a little early. Um, I, I think that, that the NBA season could be a lot shorter and would be even better. I, I love the product. I, I think it was a great year despite – you know, the COVID protocols and everything they had to deal with, and it was still too long. We used to start around Halloween. Now it starts, like, October 15th, like, two weeks earlier, just so that there's less back-to-backs. Um, I, I, I agree with you. Just start it, like, a week before Thanksgiving. Let, like, let like Christmas be the true ramp-up period. I think Steve Kerr said 72 because the local TV contracts are require 72 to kick in all of their deals. If I remember from the lockout season, they really needed to get to 72. That's why they did like those eight bubble games before playoffs. Um, so I think 72 is that magic number where they wouldn't lose that, mu that much money on the TV deals. They would just lose, you know, the ticket revenue and that stuff. Of course, from a betting perspective, yes, we would lose 10 games. I don't really bet in the last 10 games anyways. I'd probably have to wait a season or two and, and reevaluate what the last 10 or 15 games look like under a shortened schedule. But, uh... Yeah, betting opportunities are secondary to fan interest in overall rule changes and what we what we want for the game. Is there anything else that you were like, this is another major takeaway from this season? Um, Yeah, I'll pick a more positive one this time because I, I did love the season. I, I think this is the first season uh, since, since Jordan that the East has been better than the West. And I, I love that. I feel like the East has, has gotten shit on for a while now. And that was kind of an asterisk to a lot of the LeBron finals runs, something maybe the eight in a row, nine in a row, whatever it was. I think it was eight. Um, where people were saying, you know, the East just isn't as good. All the talent is in the West. I don't think it's as lopsided as it was, but I think that look how good the East is. This is, uh, this is great. So not only don't you have a clear favorite in the East, we had at any given point uh, this season, six contenders. Now I think you and I would say there are three or four. But I, at any given, you know, I did think the Bulls when they were one, they looked like they had it. We didn't, we knew, we didn't know the injuries were going to happen the way that they did. Um, I, I never thought the Cavs, but that should be my third takeaway. My third takeaway is 
Good for the Cavs. What an incredible surprise season. I feel like, again, another example why the season is too long. Look what happened. They they had to deal with the Jared Allen injuries. They skidded towards the end of the season, kind of backed their way into the seven seed, I think, seven or eight. And now they have to play a playing game. And this team that was a playoff team for two-thirds of the season, the length the season should be, uh, is not even going to make the playoffs because they got to play the Nets now in a playing game. So, uh, good for the Cavs, but I feel bad the way it ended. I'll piggyback off that Cavs example. My favorite thing from the season was just the reemergence of big-dominated basketball. Like, I feel like Mobley and Jared Allen, whether we're the Bucks with uh, Lopez and Giannis, whether we're Memphis with Triple J and Steven Adams, there's a lot of these two big lineups that are coming along. And of course, the MVP race is three centers. So I just kind of have loved the reemergence of NBA being a big man's game. And it's even though there is pace and space all over the floor, we're getting these dominant bigs with these array of skills that's just so fun to watch. And it almost feels like the next evolution of the league is like seven footers with guard skills that could be rim protectors and perimeter defenders is now like the most important thing you need. I think this is the year that it just changed. And we've just recognized that. Like, I almost wonder if we had gone back one season, would Cade still be the first pick? Or does Cade kind of fit the mold of, like, what we thought the league, you know, you want everyone to kind of look like a Paul George type, like a swing man who could just, you know, play off ball, play on ball, make good decisions, create a shot. Everyone's a Jalen Brown or a Paul George, ideally. But now it's like, wait, maybe Mobley's the type of protege you need to go for. Like he can anchor a defense, he could be a key cog on offense, he makes winning basketball decisions, and you can build around that because of mainly his defense. I, I love that. So and, kind of- and and for winning, I think you're I think you're right. I still do think because offense sells tickets, people love big names, that they're gonna go for the Cade. Oh, it could be a Luca, it could be a Harden. But I think you're right. I think if you wanna win and you're looking towards the future, the Mobley type picks will be the picks. I I love that takeaway. Good for the bigs. It almost feels like like someone comes along, like an incredibly skilled player, or a Jordan, whoever that resets the league. Everyone is at that level, and then it's like the the bigger and longer you can be at that skill level, you kind of continue to advance. And it did get to be a center drawn league, and then it was. I don't know. You're right that it was the the wings, the the LeBron prototype that turned into the Paul George that people won forever, almost because that was like, you know, the guard, almost uh, point guard, shooting guard, can create, can can pass, can score with the length. It was like, wow, we have both now. And now this is the next step. Now you're seeing the centers that can, that can do that from the guard position. And I, I've loved watching Embiid and Jokic this, this season. I know that Giannis is right in that running. And does very similar things, but he was the MVP last year. We talk about him enough. I I think that Jokic gets enough credit for being super skilled, but because Embiid is more, you know, he's so strong, people want him to go in the post more. He doesn't get enough credit for how much of a guard he is. I can't believe the way he can bop. Yep. His pull up, he can pull up from three. He can do that little fadeaway and he looks just like Kobe or Dirk. Like, he can mimic these guys who were, I mean, not Dirk, but like Kobe, he literally looks like him when he does that little shimmy and fade away. Yeah, I mean, it's great. And it it kind of makes up for the biggest complaint about having your go-to guy be a big in that, you know, when it comes down to the last shot and you need a bucket, what do you do with a big other than throw in the post? They can double, it's a mess. You can't just give your big the ball and say, okay, go beat your man. Well, now you can. I, I We saw him be do that, I think, 
first half of the season, literally hit a game winner off like a crossover deep two-step back. Jokic has always been able to find his spots, even though he does end up catching lower and, and hitting his game winners, and he has a lot in his career, or at least go-ahead buckets in his career late. Um, yeah, I love that one. It'll be fun to see if it translates to the playoffs, because like I say the last few playoffs have been like, a big narrative about pulling bigs off the floor and everyone going small. So we'll see now that it's been such a big dominated season, can those guys stay on the floor and continue to, you know, have the game revolve around them primarily. All right, let's move on. Topic two. Second thing I sent was, are the play-in rules good, bad, great, or any tweaks? Can I start off and give you my thoughts? Did yeah. I send you my thoughts already? What I think? Here's what I think. I think the play-in rules are very good for for one main thing, is that they make the end of the season a lot more enticing for more teams, and they reduce tanking. That's like That was the impetus to doing it. It's worked. Uh, it's still holding its value. You see less sellers at the deadline. You see more people who want to go for it, who think, oh, maybe I'll have a chance of getting in the play-in. You know, no one's ever tried to get a 10 seed in years past. Like, this year, there are multiple teams trying to get a 10 seed, one of them, the Lakers, actively trying not to get a 10 seed and be part of that, but, um, you know, definitely less tanking. My problem with it is now we look in the West and, like, the Timberwolves and Clippers are just so much better than the other two teams that are behind them, and the Pelicans-Spurs game at this point really brings me, like, very little interest. I'm only in it for a betting perspective. I, I don't even care to watch the game. And I almost feel the same about Charlotte versus Atlanta. I mean, you get Trey and you get LaMelo, so you have more names. And it's like, oh, now it's a little bit more interesting. But, like, I don't really care who then fights for the eighth seed. I don't really think they're going to stand much of a chance. Certainly not in the West against Phoenix. Probably not in the East against Miami. I mean, unless Brooklyn slides to the eight. But, I, again, I'm just not actually that interested in the back-end play-in games. Like, I'm excited for the 7-8, but I'm not the 9-10. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I completely agree with both of those uh, lesser games being being not so exciting. I will say last year, teams were really fighting to get in. Lakers and Warriors, they got lucky. That was a game. Even the 9-10 seed. I think this year, though... In terms of in terms of being sellers, I'm more buyers at the deadline. You are correct. In terms of fighting to get in the playoffs, the Spurs seemed like they were half tanking and backed their way in somehow. The Pelicans, once they feel, realized there was no Zion, even though they made a win now trade, that was more of a keep Zion, show everyone we're a win now team. I didn't get them that sense that they were like, oh, we need to make the playing game and the Blazers were out. So it was pretty much like if the Lakers weren't in, there was no one left but the Spurs. In the East, yeah, Trey had to try and make it a little more and, and the Hawks because they were supposed to be a better team this year. LaMelo and the Hornets are trying to make it because this is good experience for them. And I am a little bit more excited for that game. I, the the Spur, I mean, just the Spurs being in it is so unexciting to me. I mean, respect to Pop, broke records this year. But who wants to watch yeah. this they're 14 games under 500. <laughs> that's like, crazy. Like, that's not a playoff they're 30, team. They're 34 and 48. And the, and the Pelicans are 36 and 46. They're 10 games under. Like, to me, like, get those teams out of here. Like, you gotta, at least in the East, both of the 9 and 10 have winning records at 43 and 39. So, here are my proposed tweaks to the system and tell me what you think. We're going to okay. do another episode probably at the end of the season called uh, Advantage Rule Changes. 
and we're going to break down all the rule changes I'd like to see and have you react to them. Love but that. since we're here yeah. now, let's throw this out there. I don't think a team either below 500 should be invited to the play-in or, and this is not an and or, it's it's literally or, I don't care which, uh, or going back to what they did in the bubble season, you had to be within four games of the team in front of you to be able to be eligible for that because, again, we just played 82. Maybe they'll reduce that to 72. But, like, we've played enough games where if you're four games back, like, sorry, but you didn't make the cut. Uh, that was what they did for the bubble season. If you look at the standings now and you applied either of these rule changes, you would get rid of the Western Conference play-in because the Pelicans are six games behind the Clippers. Again, the Spurs are eight games behind the Clippers. And then the uh, the Clippers are four games behind the Timberwolves, so they wouldn't even be fighting for that 7-8. The, the, the West would just be locked in, and we would be having the exact same fight that we're seeing in the East, which is, again, what we're actually somewhat excited to see from a fan perspective. Do you like any of those rule changes? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I haven't thought about how how that's going to play out. Where you have one conference that has uh, ten teams making the playoffs and the other eight, so there's there are some logistical things to throw in there. I I do think, however, that that both of those Western Conference teams shouldn't have been in. That that you got to figure out a way. If you want to keep the playing game, which which I like, you know, they got LeBron and Steph last year. They're getting KD and Curry this year. The one game thing is super exciting. I do like the playing game, <clears throat> but could it be that the playing game is the seven and the eight seed? Uh, I, don't, I don't know, because one of the things about those nine and ten seeds that that you pointed out is it makes it so it's not a tankathon for half of the conference, which is what it could become. I mean, I, how do other leagues prevent tanking? The NBA seems to be the most tank heavy league that i know of uh and it's it's a problem i it's yeah because in the nba your whole franchise changes when you get one player in one draft who could step on the floor and make an enormous impact like that was the impetus behind the entire process and i think that's what they're doing in okc right now is these guys are literally saying until we get our durant until we get our lebron until we get our Embiid and simmons we're just going to keep sucking and we're going to keep losing until we get one of those guys because you, we know in this league it takes one of those guys and once you have one of those guys, it's like, okay, flip the switch and let's build. But we need to like kind of prevent that. We need to have people figure out how we incentivize some more teams to follow what Chicago did last season and like trade for Vooch and bring in DeRozan and re-sign Levine and kind of build around just being a really good team and then having potentially a chance if all the pieces to the puzzle hit right which they were in the beginning of the season and you know of course injuries have befallen the chicago bulls but yeah no i'm i'm with you there i don't know the best way to do it but they got to find a way it's there's a big difference between like a detroit Lions style this team could go 0 and 16 0 and 17 and they're trying to win so hard every game versus an okc right. what you described it's it's just that's what sports are and it, it I really you like lose that example. That, yeah, you, people they they always try and win in football yeah, exactly. And if you lose the mystique of, of sports in that way, that this is kind of magical, they're trying so hard, it's the end-all, be-all, and now all of a sudden it doesn't have that, it's, I don't know, it kind of, it kills everything. So, yeah, I think we're on the same and thing. And soccer, they promote teams. Like, yeah, they send exactly. Teams to Maybe relegation. Is, send yeah. teams to China. Maybe that's the next step in, in this process. I mean, we have talked about adding teams in Europe, maybe teams in Mexico, stuff like that. That's not crazy to, to relegate. Maybe a mid-season tournament helps with... I don't know. I'll, I'll stay away from that. We'll save that for the other episode. We do know Adam listens to the pod once forward and in one and a half speeds backwards. 
<laughs> so he'll have plenty of time to hear our ideas and listen. All right, topic number three. Let's jump into the play-in games. We'll start with, uh, I think the Cavs-Brooklyn game is first, so we'll start there. We have an eight-and-a-half-point spread in one of my most recent pods. I think it was the pod I just released before this. I said, I am hoping to get the Cavaliers at eight-and-a-half. And when the spread came out, I jumped on it right away. So I already have half a unit on the Cavs plus eight and a half. I didn't put a full unit on it yet, simply because I wanted to watch the line movement and indicators after. And having observed some of the line movement indicators, it actually seems like some of the sharps are backing Brooklyn and taking the eight and a half and laying the points. So I kind of came into this thinking, give me the team that can play some defense, that has some interior presence, that can rebound really well. And I was going to fade Brooklyn's Swiss cheese defense. But it seems like some of the bigger betters are backing them. What are you thinking? How are you approaching this game? I mean, maybe their Swiss cheese defense is part of that crazy big line because they, they think that, you know, when the points get that high, that the spreads do get a little higher. I, I think that that is a, a big line, eight and a half, for supposed teams that are, well, what, one or two games difference in, in the standings? But the, these, are, these are very different teams. I, I think... I don't know what the line should be, but it should be heavily favoring the Nets if it shouldn't be in that direction. Uh, it's going to be not close who the two best players on the floor are in that series. Is Jared Allen back? If if he's back, maybe he did come back late in the season. Um, I don't think so. No, he's so not. Then, he's not back yet, and I don't think he's playing. Tomorrow. Yeah, I'm, so I'm even. I'm even less out on the Cavs. I feel bad. I, I think this is one of the negatives of the playing game. You know, this is a a positive because we get to see Kyrie and KD in a one and done. Um, winner takes all game. That's awesome. And now we have to see the Cavs, a team that, you know, put their heart and soul on this season and, and did a great job and had what were the seven, eight seed are potentially, or probably almost definitely not going to make the playoffs. Now I, I like where you're at with the spread. Um, I'm looking forward to the game. I don't think the Cavs will win. Let's, uh, explore some of the matchups who guards Durant. I have Mobley. no clue. This is Mobley time, right? I mean, what do you... So. I have no idea. I, I haven't watched the Cavs in the last month and two months because it's like they're skidding and it's a mess. Right. I think Mobley I was so excited for because he, unlike a Cade who, you know, you can come in and have high usage and he's great even if you're not winning games and who knows what he'd be like in the playoffs. Mobley strikes me more as like a Kawhi type who... You know, may not be loud and, and demand the ball throughout the season, but when the playoffs hit, he plays a legitimate role on a winning team. I thought Mobley could have been that for the Cavs if they had a, a real team. They're, they're hurt, they're skidding, they are not good. But I, I would put him on Durant. Who would you have on Durant? I think it's going to be marketing on Durant, crazy as I say that. Dean Wade is actually hurt. I did think it was going to be a lot of Dean Wade, but it's going to be marketing, and I think... Uh, I think they're going to leave Mobley fighting down low with Drummond. This is definitely going to be a big Drummond game. I'm excited to see where the Drummond rebounds prop lines come out because I know Nash is talking to him in pregame locker room and just saying, dude, just get me 17 rebounds. Like, just get me the, get me the freaking rebounds, Drummond. Um, so I do think Mobley starts out on Drummond. I think that's a big rebounding battle. I think it's marketing matched up against KD, and I think it's Isaac Okoro guarding Kyrie to leave, you know, Garland on whatever second guard they have in there, whether that's Curry or Patty Mills or Goron. Yeah, I think that'll be – that's one of the 
best parts about the Cavs in this series is they can hide a Garland. No matter what, there's going to be one of those players you named for the Nets out there, one of those small guards. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I hope Garland has a good game. I hope the Cavs have been thinking about this and have a good game plan. Respect to, to J.B. Bickerstaff. He was in the Coach of the Year running for the first half, two-thirds of the season. Um, I'm excited for those matchups. The, the way the teams have been playing Durant recently and how they think w- the, how I think they will in the playoffs is a straight and immediate double team. So it matters a little bit less who's on him initially because it's on the it's on the pass, it's on the catch, it's immediate. It'll mean more open shots for the Nets role players, and I think they have enough in there to hit that you could get cold any time. Um, but if you're watching Nets games now where they where they play this uh, this automatic double on Durant defense. It means that Kyrie gets swing shots. So, like, to, to get a player like that going with an easy shot like that and then you, he can create and do his own thing, it's if they have that, they're going to be tough. Do you think there's any kind of aspect within Kyrie where he wants to stick it to the Cavs in a big playoff game or you think he's been so long gone from that situation that it's of yeah. no impact? I, I'm looking forward to, if we're talking about Kyrie matchups, towards that Boston matchup, because he's going back to Boston if he wins that 7-8 that matchup with the Cavs. So I am I'm more think that he has some, some stuff for the Boston fans, um, as, as we saw when he, uh, he squashed the bug on the, on the Celtics logo in the middle of the game, and everyone freaked out about that. <laughs> yeah. The Kyrie-Celtics dynamic is so weird to me. It's just like, dude, you're burning sage there. You're squashing the bug on Lucky. But at the same time, the game ends and you're doing all your crazy handshakes with Tatum. You're giving everyone there a hug. That's it's the like, point. I know he's homies. I mean, so that thing I think is that I think has been consistent. He has said, I love the Celtics. He came up with them when they were young. He's their big brother. And the Celtics have said, I love Kyrie. Now, the fans have shit on him when he comes back. They're super passionate fans. That's how it's supposed to be. And Kyrie, exactly like you say, has been extra every time he came back. So I'm, I'm about it. <laughs> Obviously, I think it's weird, too. I don't know why either of them continue it. It almost feels like Celtics fans used to have that sort of um, on their high horse, like we don't even bother with these types of hatred things that these, you know, these petty – uh, you know, Cavs LeBron type feud when Dan Gilbert wrote that letter. Like the the Celtics would never do that. They always used to have this like we're better than that, but nah, their their fans are the same as everyone else. They they boo Kyrie when he comes back in the building. Boston fans are notoriously a, a tough crowd and will either be a staunch supporter or a you know sworn enemy. Yeah, notoriously um, the- racist crowd. That's kind of what I was trying to hint at. All right, anyways, um, the over-under for Brooklyn, I just want to quickly touch on this, and then we'll switch over to the Western first play-in game that's happening tomorrow. But the over-under for this one came out at 229.5, a crazy, crazy high total for an NBA playoff game, but that is the age of pace and space that we're in. Um, It has moved down a little bit to 228, so it's dropped a point or a point and a half, depending on where you're seeing the line. And we're also getting some sharp money coming in on the under. We have 44% of the total bets on the under, but 82% of the money. So that indicates that big money bettors are backing the under in this game. Um, I have a theory that if you do want to play the eight and a half, then playing the under would be a smart secondary exposure. Because if it stays within eight and a half, it's more likely to go under than over. If you think the Nets are going to cover, then it is more likely to go over. Those are just some common correlations in sports betting. 
Austin, if you want to move on, let's take this out west. I sent you topic four. Um, we're cruising through these. Timberwolves open as a three-point favorites over the Clippers. Are the Timberwolves home there? Yes, we are okay. playing in Minnesota. Um, so I in think my Kawhi mind, sorry, not ahead. playing as of yet, but we haven't heard any updates. But yeah, go ahead. What's on your mind? Yeah, they did have that sneaky Kawhi, uh, Kawhi training session. I, I'm with you. I don't think he plays. I think that a three-point line is essentially Vegas saying, with, with Minnesota getting home court advantage, Vegas saying these teams are the same. Because home court advantage has to be some sort of point differential here. I do think that the Timberwolves were a talented and better playing team all year. But Paul George coming back is a big deal. He looks so good in that game. Norm Powell being a part of this is a big deal. Ty Lue, uh, all credit to Finch. He's done a great job this regular season. Ty Lue is a real playoff coach. He said real experience. Uh, I like the Clippers here. Is that crazy? I don't think it's crazy. The Clippers have been playing really good basketball as of late. Um they are getting their guys back. It's kind of that perfect time where these guys are now, like, rested and loaded and ready to go. And I think Paul George, like, it wasn't anything. It was his elbow that was bothering him. So he should be full go from an athleticism standpoint. And the shooting has looked fantastic since he's been back. So it seems like Paul George is good. Of course, we're waiting on Kawhi news. I almost wonder, Austin, you remember how Adam Silver came out and said recently, like, star players got to play more? Yes, you think that there's like a, a hint of Adam Silver knows a lot more than we do and he's in touch with all of these teams and he knows about all the players. You think he just knows that like Kawhi's been ready for like two months and is just waiting for the playoffs? Wow. I mean, so I, I didn't think about that. I kind of thought that if Kawhi was ready and they thought they had, you know, a, a team worth making a run, I, I didn't think they'd bring Kawhi back if he was going to, if they were going to be, you know, uh, I mean, I guess they are in a playing game, but if they were going to have no shot, I think they actually feel like the way that they're playing and having Paul George back and, and Norm Powell, that they have a shot, that if Kawhi was healthy, they would play him, and that the best way to play him, especially if you're going to have to play one play-in game, would be to ramp him up a little bit if you could. I, I know that they had that secret session where he shot around or whatever. I do think you're right that, that Adam Silver does a better job than we do about keeping tabs on these players and who's ready. I, I think he tends to be more concerned with, you know, the tanking teams where it's like, okay, you have one star. You're going to lose anyway. You can't sit him every night. You know, you're going to other cities where they pay for tickets and putting a G league team out there. Um, I think that's what he's more concerned about. Um, oh, I would be so excited if Kawhi showed up and just played in this playing game. They crushed the T wolves. And now all of a sudden everyone is afraid of the Clippers. My thought when I saw that silver quote, and I actually watched some of the press conference because I love that man, um, and he's such a big fan of the pod that I support him back. Um, I immediately was like, what does he know about Kawhi? What does he know about Ben Simmons? Like, is Jamal Murray just fine and ready to go? Like, so the all of these teams, minus the Nets and the whole Simmons saga, but like, the Clippers and the Nuggets have been like firmly entrenched as a playoff team or play-in team all season. So it was kind of like no reason to rush Kawhi back because they weren't going to catch a team like Luka or, and the Mavs or Gobert and the Jazz, but they were going to get a play-in spot. So it's almost like Kawhi, like, just relax. We're going to get a play-in spot regardless, and we'll see you when we're in the first round or that first play-in game. So we'll see what happens. I, I haven't put anything on this game yet. 
let's talk about the game for a bit. Let's assume Kawhi's out. Who guards Cat? Is it Zubak? Is it Hartenstein? Or do they try and go small and put, like, Batum on him because he plays some perimeter stuff and then slide Zub over to, like, guarding Vanderbilt? But Batum is a good call. He's one of those experienced, versatile defenders that now in his older years, especially guards a, a bigger uh, player that, that knows what to do with Cat, has enough tricks up his sleeve that he could uh, he could cause some problems. I think that they double Cat a lot. I think that all those people you named are a tough matchup. Maybe Isaiah Hartenstein, maybe... I think that's going to be tough for them. But I think that they think, likewise, that they'll be able to score on the other end, too. Cat uh, hasn't always been a great defender. He gets some blocks. He plays some help. Um, but if they went a little bit smaller, that'd be tough Tough for Cat. They'd get some threes. If they went with, like, a, a Hartenstein where you pull Cat away, he, he has that sort of point-center um, vibe where they can run the offense through him. I, You know, I, this game is tough. Uh, I There's their the teams do very different things well. So when you ask me, you know, how are they going to stop Cat or what are they going to do about um, about Paul George, I think that that uh, that they're not well suited to stop each other. We could see some points in this one. Yeah, I think the over-under for this one is even over. Oh, this one's at 230. Like, it's wow. it's absolutely insane. I did, I did mention in my last pod that I was looking to play more overs in the postseason than unders because... I think the narrative of less scoring in the playoffs is kind of hogwash considering the state of the league right now. There's just these teams play too fast and they play with too much pace and space that they honestly don't know another way to play. Um, These teams don't settle and run in the half court like they used to at all. So I think we're going to see Batum primarily on Cat. I think as soon as Cat goes into the post, you're going to see Batum start doing weird things to him like... He's going to front him one possession. He's going to have a double on the back end on another possession. I think anytime Cat goes into the post, they're going to throw a different look at him, which is going to be all credit to Ty Lue. And I think as long as he stays out in the perimeter, they're just going to leave Batum out there and let Zub or Hartenstein guard Vanderbilt and say, okay, just be a primary rebounder. So that's what I'm seeing. And that's why I think this game really comes down to a few key players. It's going to be a huge game for Ant-Man, Anthony Edwards. In his first big game in his playoff career, um, we know Cat already made the playoffs with that Jimmy Butler Wiggins squad, but this is Ant's first time on the big stage. And D'Lo, D'Lo hasn't been in the playoffs for quite a bit. Um, I forget if he, no, they missed with the Warriors, but he did make it when he was back with the Nets. So I think big game for D'Lo coming, big game for Ant. And I think on the Clippers side, it's going to come down to a guy like Paul George and even Luke Kennard. We'll see what Kennard can do, if he can operate in the wings, if he's hitting his shots. He could be a huge weapon in this game. Jumping back to an earlier point you made there quickly, I- I'm looking forward to seeing what these playoffs are like because I feel like every year I forget how, how physical the playoffs are. Um, and then I really have to like see a game or two and see how it's being called, how it's being played to really understand that again. So I- I'm looking forward to seeing these playoff games and kind of using them as a, as a barometer for what this is going to be like. I-, I know we're not seeing the best teams here, especially not the best defensive teams. Um, but I still think that we're going to learn something and-, and we might kind of get that feeling like, oh, wow, that's that's right. The playoffs are not the regular season. We haven't seen meaningful basketball in a long time any um pat bev revenge narrative going against <laughs> the clippers or it does pat bev just have revenge against everybody or is there any like 
He's got a he's got a lot of revenge people on his list. Surprisingly, the Clippers are not at the top of it, even though I know he spent some time there and then left when I don't think he wanted to leave. Um, but no, he's he he's got bigger rivals in Luca and Russ and Chris Paul and ja. and Ja. Um, he might and, be trying to win this one so he goes to face Ja in the next round. Oh, and we talked about that matchup. I, I, I think that could be fun. I think Ja will eat him alive. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Memphis. So I think you're picking the Clippers, but I also think we're kind of both. I don't really have a pick. You've said you're leaning Clippers. I'm saying it's if a toss-up. Yeah, I'm, I'm picking Clippers yeah. because they're getting three, but yeah. Yeah, we're, neither of us are putting our money where our mouth is in this situation. But we bit, we did both talk about offline, how we kind of hope the Timberwolves actually pull this one out. Because we think, from a fan perspective, moving to that next series, Timberwolves versus Grizzlies would just be absolutely sick. And likewise, Clippers versus Suns would present an amazing series as well. Kind of from a betting opportunity, I'd like it to go the other way. If it's, a, if it's betting, I think there's more value in getting the Clippers going against Memphis. And I think taking the Phoenix Suns to just crush... The Timberwolves would be safe money, but that's not what I root for. I root for uh, the better games, and then I'll find my betting opportunities within those. So let's see Timberwolves pull this one out. Um, I'm leaning towards... The only play that I was leaning towards playing in that game was D'Angelo Russell's points prop over 17.5. So that one interests me. I will make it official. If, If I do make it official, I will tweet about it. On my Twitter, make sure you're following me at AdvantagePod underscore SE and the Wager Pass Sports Ethos Discord. I, have all, I will also post it in there if it's an official play. Um, Austin, any other thoughts in that? Did you see um, Finch just got an extension today? No, good for him. Well earned. Um, yeah, he I, deserves that. Yeah, very much so, especially with... You me know, and you love talking about coaches. Yeah, as as uh, Frank Vogel is fired before his last game of the season. I, I Good I for have, Finch. <laughs> I, have some coach questions. I have some coach questions for you at yeah, the end, but we'll, we'll get there. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about coaches for a little longer, so if any of them kind of fit in, feel feel free to, to say them. I, All right, you want, you, want to talk, you want to talk a few coaches now, yeah, and then we'll take a quick coaches. break, and then we'll do the other, we'll do the other series? Perfect. You think this is Pop's last rodeo? Wow. So he hit that he hit that number. No, I mean I oh, it's so hard. So I don't think that Pop is the kind of person that would say, Me, me, last season, everyone give me your flowers. But I sort of think we'd have a little more of a heads up if he was on his way out. I I do think he he's still he's still involved with Team USA a little bit. I know they passed it off. He passed off head coaching duties. Um, but I, so, I, yeah, go ahead. That one confuses me because when coach K came in to do team USA, he was the first coach ever to do it more than once. Like everyone was a one in one coach, one cycle, pass it on to the next guy. Coach K got there and he was like, yeah, I'm going to do this for three times. <laughs> I didn't um, know that. Good call. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I mean, listen, he was a great team USA coach. He, I think one, lost one game and it was a non-consequential game, but he won three gold medals. Okay, quick technical difficulties. Sorry if the sound cut off in anything I previously just said. Going to just take it back to that last point, Austin. Coach K, I think, did 12 years. He won three golds. They were coming off of that bronze medal in 2008, and then he went. He won gold in 2012, 16, and 20. Um, 
but it also was a great recruiting tool for him in Duke. And I think that was a reason why he didn't want to give it up is because he had all the access to all the stars and he was the coach on the biggest stage. He could choose guys that he wanted for Team USA. I mean, we saw Mason Plumley on the squad, things like that. I mean, with, with the Spurs, you just saw Pop bring on Keldon Johnson, which in hindsight might not look have like the best choice right now. But, I mean, Keldon actually played great for Team USA, so I don't want to discredit his gold medal. But, again, yeah, I don't think Pop is going to continue doing Team USA because I think coaches just kind of pass it on after one turn, as is tradition. But I don't know. I kind of I kind of lean to this is Pop's last run. Yeah, I, I don't feel like Pop, uh, his love of the game is gone. I feel like Tim Duncan just joined. He might still have some... some no, uh, Duncan's gone. Oh, Duncan's gone. I thought Duncan yeah, was assistant coaching. Oh, really? No. He, All right. Yeah, well, that stopped. goes against what I was. Maybe like, Pop I just want to go buy jeans at Levi's. When <laughs> Dunk, man. I mean, when Pop was coaching Team USA, he he fell in love with Keldon. He fell in love with Derek White. Uh, the the session before, maybe two. Um, it was such a huge advantage for Coach K, and I say this as a Duke grad. I can't believe like it was. What's a better recruiting tool than I? coach LeBron and the best players and Kobe and this was at a time where it was just crazy to be around some of these guys I uh who who is it now Spolstra I think so yeah I think he's the next guy not that the Heat need any more draw they they double down on Heat culture it could be Kerr it could be Steve Kerr I mean those are the the two that you'd think um but yeah good for Finch especially in a time when Coaches are just scapegoats for every bad season, and you're hearing more and more about what happened with Vogel in L.A. And look, um, anytime you don't make the playoffs with that team, there's some blame on the coach. But it sounds like he was put in a nightmare situation, dealing with injuries, dealing with a problematic Westbrook, where if if you're trading for him, okay, fine, fine. You, you don't want Buddy Heald, hindsight's 2020, all that. If you're trading for him, obviously – the GM, coach, LeBron, Westbrook all have to be on the same page about what's your role, how are we going to do this. They weren't on the same page, if, if these reports are true, weren't on the same page about such basic things as shot selection, who's bringing the ball up, minutes. Like That's, that's crazy. All right, we're going a little off topic here because I just we need to hit these points. Um, I agree. Vogel's the scapegoat. I need to follow up and ask you some questions. Do it. Did you see the report in like January that was like Vogel now has permission to make a rust substitution in the fourth quarter if he wants to? I, I didn't see the report, but I remember when it started happening and it was like whether it was the media or Russ or whoever, it was oh, a huge I think deal. It was, I, I literally think it was maybe like a Ramona Shelbourne or someone who's like one of those like complete Lakers yeah. plugged in beats. Yeah. So I think it was Ramona. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's her domain. Um, she literally put out a report that like, Frank Vogel has gotten the permission of ownership to bench Russell Westbrook down the stretch if that's what it's needed. I mean, why do you need permission, dude? You're the head coach and you've won a championship and you need permission to make a substitution in the fourth quarter that you think is the right decision. At that point, if I'm Vogel, like, I don't really even want to be here anymore. I, I agree he's the scapegoat. I agree he's not the problem. I also don't think he's the right fit moving forward. So I, 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 I do think he had to go, and I, I almost think like you could have just even phrased it as a p- mutual of parting ways as opposed to a firing or something like that. Are there any other coaches? Oh, wait. The, the other thing I wanted to ask you. Yeah. 
here was my Russ idea. I have two Russ thoughts. Why didn't they just play him at center? Like 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 what the Nets do with Bruce Brown. Like take him off ball, make him he's a great rebounder, he's physical as hell. Why not just put him on a guy like Cat? So he, he, they couldn't even with the coach and LeBron, they couldn't even get him not to bring the ball up, let alone to put him in an off dunker spot and and have him relegated like that. He I mean I love Russ, and I think the solution is just to put him on a tanking team. But I, I, I love Russ and his career, and I think he gets either too much disrespect or too love, and he's such a polarizing character that he's not closer to where he should be historically in the middle. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they had no control over Russ. And the disrespect to not even let your coach play who he wants to play after a championship, after you have LeBron's okay, but not uh, – it's – it's crazy, and the, the season was doomed from the jump. I just don't know why they wouldn't have made Russ the starting center. Like, I don't get why they wouldn't have had him just be the guy setting a million screens, slashing, and being I a just, I just like, ga- I'm, I'm going to interrupt. I just down? gave you the answer. He, they literally had rumors come out where that Vogel wanted everyone to bring the ball up, wanted him to play multiple positions. He literally said no, and that was it, and they moved on. He was the only one who could bring it up when he was there. That's crazy. That's That's crazy. Crazy. It's crazy. Okay, let's move on from Russ. Actually, no, one more Russ topic. You see the rumors about where he might be headed next? Did you hear the Charlotte thing? I didn't hear Charlotte. Um, I would have rathered him on a more tanky, tanking team. If if he mentally is ready to – take on the role that he would have to in Charlotte, then fine. But they're a young, fun team, and their issue is not no rust. Their issue is a little less experience in defense. But So I think it was like to take on uh, like getting multiple assets. Like you'd get a pick, a young guy. Like again, the Lakers' only young guy that they keep throwing around is THT, which is questionable how much of Should have traded that him before is. the season. I mean, that asset was yes, very valuable before the season. Had to move him. Had he to actually had now. a great final game of the season, so just start sending that tape out to everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know how many players <laughs> um, you can say that for in this league? Um, Conchar, Victor Oladipo uh, with his 40 points. Oladipo, 40. Uh, Covington had the craziest game to end the season. Conchar had Aaron a triple-double. with 40. Um, Emmanuel quickly had a 30-point triple-double, the first since Wall Clyde Frazier, I believe. So the silly oh, season is in, in full That's effect. That's crazy. The this season needs to be shorter, but yeah, we've covered that. All right, any other coaches that are on the hot seat? Probably plenty that I'm just not thinking of, and that I wish weren't. Uh, let's think Doc about Rivers. the Doc. It's all about the playoffs, so we'll we'll see what happens in the playoffs. He pretty much, I don't know, because some scapegoats are built in already here. So if they lose to, lose to Toronto in the first round, he could be in trouble regardless. Matisse not being able to play there is kind of a little excuse built in what's going on with Harden depending on how he plays in the playoffs is an excuse built in so we'll see how that goes but Doc Doc is a little on the hot seat um Steve Nash I know I know you were gonna say Nash I don't think Nash has done a great coaching job but I don't think he's on the hot seat because the way that he and the Nets organization and KD and Kyrie are all thinking about this and have clearly discussed and agreed upon this is as much as most teams with that kind of talent would be win now, they're in kind of a we're pumped to be here for the long haul. We will get championships. What will be, what will be, it will be. Um, and so I, I do hope to see something from Nash because I don't know if he's been such a good X's and O's coach 
Um, but we haven't seen him a ton in the playoffs. We really saw injuries dictate that entire last series. You think if Nash what? So if Nash loses, let's say they win the play-in, and they lose in seven to the Boston Celtics. No injuries on either side. He's on the hot seat. They're getting rid of Nash. I don't think Nash is on the hot seat. I don't think they're getting rid of Nash. I think they should get rid of Nash. And I think he should be on mm. the hot seat. So we'll see how this goes. Um, ultimately, I think he, they're kind of all tied to the hip in this marriage right now. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's proven himself to be a great coach at all. I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't keep him around if there's championship aspirations and you're going to give Kyrie 250 million over five years or anything like that. I wouldn't have him be the coach for that squad. I'd I would rather bring in someone who's has a more proven track record of getting it done. I think D'Antoni might end up with the Kings, which I think might be a perfect fit. I think if D'Antoni goes That's to Sacramento, we will see Sacramento in the playoffs in the next three seasons. That's my prediction. I mean, how many more years can Sacramento go without making the playoffs? Like, play-in or no play-in game, no incentive necessary for this team to try and make the playoffs. I, I think they'll make it next year, just, I don't know, because they have to. Last coach question, and make it quick, Quinn Snyder? Ah, stays. Personnel issue. If, if they can get him to stay, Quinn Snyder is a hot coach, so if they can't keep him, long term then someone's going to pick him up maybe the lakers maybe a big name they should be trying to keep quinn and they will i, think. I was literally thinking the same thing i heard um i think it was mark spears squashed the uh quinn snyder rumors he's like they are not firing quinn snyder but i almost then say all right well where where do those rumors come from and then could it be snyder trying to angle him his way out of there because this team might be going south when you know he might be trying to go north and i almost think if we do see Quinn leave, don't expect it to be L.A. It might be San Antonio to take Interesting. over Pop. Interesting. Wow, this all ties back into is is Pop staying there. Um, yep, full circle. <laughs> that, that I mean, I like the, the deep cut uh, Utah conspiracy theory that Quinn is actually putting out his own rumors to, to get out of there. I don't know. I think everyone is putting out their own rumors to get out of Utah these days, but we'll see if I think the only thing that could change that is a strong playoff showing. And let's take a quick break now, but we'll start with them when we come back. And they just caught one huge break because Luka Doncic might be hurt. All right, Austin, we'll be right back. See you in five minutes. All right, back from a quick break, Austin. We left it off with saying we're going to talk about Jazz versus Mavs. I'm going to pull up the series odds right now. And I see that the Jazz are favorite, slight favorite, minus 150. What is your lean for the series? And is it just impossible to figure it out because we don't know the state of Luka? It's all about Luka. But I did see early reports that they're not worried. I know that Luka plays through some stuff. If, if it's possible to play, which it is, this isn't the kind of injury that it's like he's not going to be able to move. It's like, oh, you know, this is what happened with KD. You have a little calf strain and then all of a sudden you it's a hammy and then it's an Achilles. Um but I would say 90-plus percent Luka is playing. I like the Mavs here. I'm kind of surprised the line is that close. I think that must reflect some of this Luka fear because the Mavs are a team we talked about last week and are really hot, um, and I assume that the betting would reflect that. Um, and the Jazz are a team in turmoil. This has to reflect a lot of Luka stuff because, yeah, Jazz are a team in turmoil, Mavericks are hot as hell, and... We're playing in Dallas. They're the higher seed. And Utah is favored in game one by three points. On the road in Dallas is a three-point favorite. So this, to me, screams concern about Luka. 
and since I don't have enough information on his health, it's a complete stay away bet for me right now. I think luckily they have, you know, a week before, almost a week before that game happens, that first game. But I was, um, I sent you a tweet last night that said the average time for calf strain was like 17 days and like six games missed. So you did, you did, but I, I am gotta be worrisome. Enough. I'm confident enough with, and I could totally be wrong, come back and check me on this in a little. I, I'm confident enough that between the R slash NBA rumors, uh, the R slash Maverick rumors, um, and and kind of the general reports and how people feel, that he's going to play. He's going to play. You know what I was thinking for this series? Uh, we discussed last time with the potential Gobert rumors is this could be similar to when KD played against the Warriors and lost, and then you saw him and Draymond talking at the end. <laughs> if you see the Jazz lose to the, the Mavs, I think there's going to be very, very loud rumors this summer about Gobert to Dallas. So I'd be very interested to see the reaction between Luka and Gobert you know, after the games. That's something I'm going to be looking for and angling for. From an on-court stuff, uh, what are you looking on the court in this series? Who are some of the key players and we know you love your guy, Finney Smith. Um, who else is going to be, you know, a standout guy that you need to watch in this postseason, in this series? Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm watching to see, uh, to see Gobert on the court. So I guess we're picking them both. Uh, in the past, whether it's been his fault or the Jazz perimeter defense's fault, mostly the guards, he's been played off the court in playoffs and not valuable enough offen- offensively for that to be an issue. So if Gobert is is a big factor defensively in this series it really changes things i i do think that the way that the mavericks run their offense through luca so ball dominant high pick and rolls he's so smart he can manipulate the defense so effectively in waiting to the very last second to pass coming down his jumps you don't know where he's going to put it up that makes it so hard for a big man trying to play multiple spots multiple players at the same time like gobert is going to be doing i i can't wait for this matchup i have probably been unfairly too much of a Gobert hater in my uh, lifetime. I don't know why the big man from uh, from France gets so much hate. He's one of the most hated on players I've ever seen. Um, but I'm on that I'm on that hate hater team kind of. So I I sort of understand it. And I don't really want him to play well. So that might be factoring in here. I want Luca to embarrass them. Um, so let's let's see. I think part of that is going to be on Quinn Snyder if he comes in with the exact same defensive game plan as they got, you know, embarrassed on and a couple times in the past, that's on him. If I were to force if I were forced to bet this Austin, what I would do is I would put a bet on the Dallas to win the series at that plus 140. It is right now on FanDuel. The the Jazz are minus 165. I said minus 150 before I was slightly off. They're minus 165. Dallas is plus 140. So if I had to do it, what I would do is put a little bit on the Jazz, hoping that if they win that first game at home with or without Luka, then you would see such a flip in the odds where they'd be mm-hmm. up 1-0 with home court advantage still, where then you'd be able to just bet the other side and take Utah in the series, and then you'd pretty much lock in yourself profit. And of course, if they don't win that first game, you still haven't lost the bet, uh, and you still have a chance for Luka's health to improve and then for them to regain the series. So that would be the bet where if I had to, but again, because this hedges so much on Luca's injury, it's kind of hard to talk too much about. It'll be interesting to see if the Mavs D holds up in the playoffs. Uh, 
Utah's underratedly a potent offense. Uh, so we'll see what they can do. Let's talk about the Nuggets-Warriors series. This is another kind of hard series to talk about because of the injuries, and we don't know who's coming back. We saw Jamal Murray. Uh, you see Michael Malone said he told Jamal Murray that he can come back and play 20 minutes in the last regular season game if he wanted to, and he said it was a mental hurdle that he needed to clear. So I do think there's a chance that we see Jamal Murray. I, I lean towards no, but like, I mean, he was warming up in the Memphis game, breaking a sweat. He cut hard and then just did a ferocious slam. I was just like, that guy doesn't look like he just tore his ACL. He looks ready to play basketball. So I mean, we might see Jamal. And we, we also, it seems like we're going to see Steph too. So it's hard to really know with the injuries in this series. Go ahead. It's becoming more and more obvious as you go through these that we have never had as uncertain a playoff run with this many potential returning injuries. You know, we, we've missed people in, in playoff series in the past, but typically it's, you know, they're so hurt that there's no chance that they could come back um, or you lose them in the middle of the playoffs. This is this is a weird time with with all the injuries. This is, why, this is why I wonder what Adam Silver knows and why he just <laughs> made that comment about they need to play more regular season games because it's going to make such a mockery of the regular season if all these guys just start coming back right now and they all look fine. Like, that's not a good look for the NBA. Yeah, so I think one thing that would um, be sort of a saving grace for Adam Silver here would be if seating and home court advantage ended up really mattering. And then you might look back at some of these playoff teams and what they did um, and what they did at the end of the season and say, oh, maybe maybe they made a mistake. Maybe they, they shouldn't arrest their players. Maybe they shouldn't have tanked games. So you have the Milwaukee Bucks who lost a lot, sat everyone and lost the last game of the season intentionally to move from the two to the three and avoid Brooklyn. Okay, good call. I have no problem with that. Um, let's say Boston takes care of Brooklyn in, in the, the two, seven matchup. Now you have the two, three matchup, Boston, Milwaukee, um, and game seven. And this is this, who knows if it goes to seven, but it Boston's could be a close an insane series. home court advantage. Too. Insane. They and, and the game seven in, in the Boston garden. I don't know if they call it that anymore. Um, but yeah, that would, that would be crazy. Um, and then you, and then you'd look and you'd say, okay, that matters. They should have done more there. Let's say that you have Kawhi and the Clippers come back and they crush, uh, they crush Minnesota in that first game and they look great. And people are like, this is amazing. They're going to go on a run. So now they play Memphis, and it's Memphis. a tough. It's a tough battle. And they lose to Memphis, and you're like, ah, you didn't have to play the second best team in the in the West. Um, you could have moved up a little higher if you actually had brought Kawhi back. So that's one way that I think Adam Silver says, uh, "Few we can we can save the league a little here." Do, what do you think? Yeah, I actually like that you said that. Uh, the first official play I put out for on Twitter and for playoffs on Sportito's Discord was taking the Hawks minus 4.5 against Charlotte on Wednesday. And what I wrote was home court advantage matters. Give me Atlanta at home. So, yeah, yeah I, I really another... do agree. Atlanta's a good place. Yeah, I also, you know, I like the team of Atlanta more. Uh, I like Capella yeah. lining up against the Charlotte Bigs in a, in a big game. I like the inexperience of Charlotte versus the experience of Atlanta. So I took Atlanta to cover that four and a half point spread. Um and that was the reason I wrote was the main, main thing as home court advantage matters. Um, I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but going back to that Milwaukee and Boston series, I really hope we get to see that matchup. I feel like these two th- teams, while not 
having like a city rivalry, you know, Milwaukee and Boston isn't really a thing, have played each other so often in the playoffs the last five, six years that they have to have like a player organizational rivalry here. And now these two teams have kind of been, it's not like these are new teams on either end. These are kind of the peak forms of what's been building up to this matchup. I, I want to see them play. And Horford and Tice are back to make you know. Yep. I feel like you know they were there for those previous yeah. playoff battles. It's it's it'll be fun. I do think uh, if if I'm the Bucks and there's one team I'm worried about throughout the playoffs, it's the Celtics. I think the Bucks match up really well with the Miami Heat, 76ers, and Brooklyn. Uh, Brooklyn can obviously give them trouble because Brooklyn can give anyone trouble if they just get those guys hot on the right night. But I ultimately think if if it's Miami versus Milwaukee I'm definitely taking Milwaukee like in five and if it's Boston versus Milwaukee I'm really confused just because the matchups and matchups are so important in the playoffs um let's talk about the other series that we do know about already so we've did we touch on Warriors Nuggets enough do we need to talk about it a little more I mean because of the injury thing there are so many things up in the air I I again I'd just be Everything would change if Jamal Murray is back, and then uh, is is Steph Curry definitely back? I no. Let's to me, go to it the seems next one. to me it seems like Steph is back, and I don't okay. think the Nuggets. I don't think Jamal ultimately is back, and I think the Nuggets is just like, you know, a candle that's about to burn out. Like Joker just had. He, I think he deserves MVP, but it's it's too much load for him to carry going against the experienced Warriors in the first round. Maybe he could push it to six. I said on my last pod that I don't think, I think this is the year where Jokic doesn't even push a series to seven games. Cause I don't think he's, I, I think Jokic in every single playoff series he's ever been in is a seven game series win or lose. Mm. Mm. So and I think this is the first time it doesn't go seven for Jokic. All right, let's talk about um, the Eastern ones. 76ers okay. Raptors. Here's my question for you about this series. Yeah. Who's the second best player in the series? I mean, it should be Harden. Uh, we'll see what Harden shows up. Um, and I think that's mostly hamstring and injury base. I'm not trying to talk shit about playoff Harden, but it, it should be Harden. I, I agree. I think they have the two best players in the series in Embiid and Harden. I don't think Dybul's, uh Vax situation is going to make too big of a difference. They were up 20 recently in Toronto before they obviously playing without Thibault, uh, before like Toronto made a ridiculous comeback. And I know like you have to give credit to Toronto for making a ridiculous comeback, but ultimately this team was still up 20 points on the road without their guy. And I think in the playoffs, it's just a different beast and different level of focus and give me the team with the two best players. And that's Embiid and Harden and the 76ers. I, I see the odds as series bet. For this one is Philadelphia minus 175. I'm kind of interested in taking that. I thought it was going to come out at 2-1 to one or like minus 220. So that's getting better value. I think there's kind of so much hate on the 76ers right now, on James Harden's playoff performances, on Doc Rivers having some playoff busts, on Thibel not being able to play. I mean, he's he's not that important in this series. He's important when they go against Middleton and Giannis, when they go against Tatum and Brown, he's not, when they go against Durant, he's not as important against Fred Van Vliet, Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam. I agree. I I think that's why it's a good time to take 
take Philly right now. I'm, I'm shocked that the yeah. line doesn't like them as much. And I think it must be because the, the Thibel news just came out because they're slumping a little and because Toronto is so hot. And I know both you and I love and respect Nick Nurse and have questioned Doc Rivers at times. And I, I still don't think it, it'll matter. I think that playoff Embiid is going to be able to go through them. And if, if they double Embiid as much as they're going to have to, then you won't have to uh, rely on the Harden show and him being able to beat his man. I think you'll be able to move the ball, get good open shots, and you should be able to beat him. First live bet here on the Advantage Austin. I just submitted that one. I'm taking, nice. I'm taking Philly minus 175 to win that series. I like I that. that. Those odds... That we that's yeah, give me that. Like that's I think that's kind of a no brainer. I, I really like what Toronto's done. They're a really well coached team, they're gritty, but like again, it's the playoffs and Embiid has been so dominant and they don't really have a big to contend with him. Let's talk about the last one is Bulls Bucks. I mean, I if you asked me earlier in the season, this would have been by far what I was most excited about. I loved how well the Bulls played. I think without Caruso, I mean, Caruso's back, I'm sorry, without Lonzo um, and without having everyone back for a little while and just the way that the Bulls look right now, I don't think they're going to give Milwaukee much of a run for their money, unfortunately. I I thought we would have gotten a good series here. I mean, here's where the Bulls need playoff Rondo to just sit on the bench, play 10 minutes and say, oh, I'll tell you every play the other team is running and what they're doing because I don't (laughs) think they have that. Yeah, I think this year... I think Bulls are, I mean, Lonzo's not coming back. Caruso is back, but Lonzo was so important to that perimeter defense. It kind of helped Caruso. On, you needed kind of both of them. I don't think Io DeSumo and Caruso is nearly the same package. Um, and Lonzo's three-point shooting is so underrated and his ability to space the floor and push tra- transition. Lon- he's just such an underrated player. Um, so, yeah, I think that's honestly a Giannis injury away from the Bulls having a chance so yeah so not close knock on wood that doesn't happen there's <laughs> yeah. those odds those odds are uh Milwaukee minus 900 wow as so they should be prob- wow yeah as they should be but probably not worth betting it just because you know you're an injury away from I mean, it's it's crazy how we're we are a little bit a prisoner of the moment. I know that momentum is everything, but can you imagine two months ago saying that the Philly Toronto line would be this close and Milwaukee Bulls would be that heavily favored Milwaukee when the Bulls were hot and Toronto was nothing, not even in a playing game. I mean, I if Giannis, I, if Giannis got hurt, would you still take Milwaukee over Chicago? No, no, I, it's it's mentally too much of a blow to lose Giannis. It's like, what are we even going to win this series for? So we can lose the next one. So we can lose the next one. They lose Giannis. That's enough of a momentum swing to to Chicago. Okay, yeah, that would be the only if you're if you're out there and you're listening to this and you for some reason disagree with Austin and you think the the Bucks could sustain a Giannis injury, then you can go ahead and put lay something on that nine to one odds otherwise that's something i would avoid all right we've made it through kind of talking about all the playing games all the seat the the uh matt what was we've made it through talking about all the playing games and all of the series that we have so far um last thing before we get out of here austin is let's have like a little fantasy draft a little three round fantasy draft of doing this of who has the most to lose or like who has the biggest pressure going into the playoffs? 
you want me to go first or you want so you can think or you want first pick? Um, you take first pick. Okay. With most to lose in the 2022 playoffs, I am going with James Harden. I think if he has another playoff flameout, he might end up looking similar to the way we're viewing Russell Westbrook right now as like empty stats, throw him on like not a great team and just let him just be ball dominant, do his thing. I think seriously, if they go out in the first round to Toronto, which we just explained, I don't think happens, but if it did, then he didn't sign his player option and he Philadelphia doesn't have to bring him back. I don't think Embiid has loved playing with Harden, and I think this playoff run will make a big difference in determining that. I mean, it would be crazy if Philadelphia didn't re-sign him because they just gave up so much. But I think Embiid, I've heard rumors that Embiid would rather play with Bradley Beal and that Bradley Beal is definitely going to explore free agency. So if you can then reopen that spot and just bring in Beal and now you've traded those contracts and opened up the money, that would make it work. It's kind of essentially the same thing. Um, so I think Harden has the most to lose. I think you know if he has a great playoff series, he might be remembered well. He might get a four-year contract for $250 million. He might get paired with Embiid for the prime of Embiid's career. And he might have a loving Philadelphia 76ers run. I think if it doesn't work out, I don't know where he is next season. Wow. So I, I think that's a good one. I was going to... I was going to say there's no way they don't sign Harden, but you make a great point. Sign and trade. You know, find find a contract that fits, find a player that fits, and move on. Part of me felt like if Harden wanted out of Brooklyn and he won, and I do think he specifically said um, Philly and his boy Maury is there, that they, they're, they're going to go beyond this season, even if he plays terribly. I think Maury will have his back. I think they'll blame some of it on the hamstring, the injury, just join the team, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think that's a good one. Um, My question would be like, what if Embiid is just like Maury? Like, no, like, that's a, I, I mean, I don't want to keep playing with him. Does Embiid have veto power over Maury? Maury is one of those GMs that I almost think, no, I could be wrong. All right, your pick. I'm going to go Milwaukee here, piggybacking on what I said earlier. I think if Milwaukee at full strength health, Giannis talking about how he doesn't care about the MVP scoring champion, it's about the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. If they dodge the Nets by blowing, by tanking that last game of the season when they could have had the two spot, they were ahead of, of Boston. They All they had to do was play. Um, if they then go seven with Boston or they lose to Boston or somehow that seeding comes into play where Boston's the two seed, they're the three seed, they don't have home court advantage. I think that, that Bud's going to look bad for that. Um, that'll be tough. My pick. Yeah, go ahead. My pick is the Phoenix Suns kind of also as a team. Cause there's so many components of people that could lose out. If Sarver's still the owner of this team amidst these investigations and allegations of uh, terribleness, workplace culture, yeah, yeah, yeah. for years and years and years. Um, ultimately, I think he gets to keep the team, but that's just because I don't think owners want to set the president. It's upon impossible. Themselves. They couldn't even get exactly. Sarver to sell. They had to bring his wife in. I mean, Sarver. I'm sorry, Sterling to sell. They uh, had to bring his yeah, wife. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think he does keep the team, but. I would I would be worried about uh, them bringing back DeAndre Ayton 
because he's notoriously cheap and they just didn't extend him on the rookie after his rookie contract. So now he's, I think, an unrestricted free agent this offseason. Um, Chris Paul is going to be another year older with constant injury risk. I, I think the injury risk narrative with Chris Paul is a little overstated. I mean, he's played like over 70 games the last three seasons. So he's really playing and more than any of, of these other superstars. But he always does seem to get hurt in the toughest spots. And another season, another year older, you never know. So I think like this team might look very different in a year. And they're so good this season. And they just missed it last year. Uh, I think they would have a lot to lose, potentially. I think those are great points, especially the Sarver-Ayton situation. Clearly, Ayton was was not happy at the beginning of the season that he wasn't offered, similar to his peers. And it's not clear that he's played up to what he wanted there. Um, I've been looking uh, for a way to work this Chris Powell stat into the conversation, so I'm, I'm going to take it now that you brought up Phoenix. I think that this is Chris Paul 2.0, that ever since his vegan diet, that it doesn't matter so much that he used to have this this injury uh, history and that he's so much older now, that he's kind of a, a slightly different body, a slightly different lifestyle, a slightly different player. So here's the Chris Paul stat that I've been trying to work in for you here. This is the fourth franchise that Chris Paul has led to their best ever regular season record. That is crazy. I, I know, A, that stars don't move around often, and, and Chris Paul has played for four different franchises. I know that the Suns historically aren't the best of all time. Neither is New Orleans. Maybe neither is the Clippers. But that's incredible. I mean, this guy is a winner. That's four all-time teams that he took there, and you're looking at his supporting casts, and they weren't always the best. Or maybe they were always good, and then you didn't realize until he, he took them to – um, to an all-time best record. I know last year, even though the Suns had the same roster, no one had them as one of the best or a second-best team in the West. I know that when he was on New Orleans, that no one picked him to, to beat the Spurs, uh, to take Tyson Chandler and David West past people. I, I, I respect Chris Paul, the point guard. I love that stat. Yeah, and you think, like, even the Clippers now, they have Kawhi and Paul George for a few seasons. They haven't eclipsed the record that he had with Blake and DeAndre. Um, all right, your pick. Who else has a lot to lose in this NBA playoffs? Oh, man. I don't want to go Doc. I think it's a gimme. I'm going to go with the Miami Heat. I, I know it's surprising um, because no one expects a lot of them here. But... If we see that Jimmy Butler is a problem in the playoffs because he can't shoot and he he doesn't have that gear um, anymore, if we if we see that having no point guard, um, I mean maybe Lowry plays well, but essentially no point guard is a problem, then it really looks like they might have overpaid Duncan Robinson. It might have been might have overpaid Victor Oladipo. I mean I I don't I, maybe he's only on a one year. Um, I think that internally, despite externally there being a lack of expectations internally they have high expectations nobody is on the hot seat but they really really want to win they've paid and contracted to win now not that they're restricted from winning in the future but i think there's some pressure on the heat i like that one. i like that one all right i'm gonna give you my third utah jazz and i think this one's also pretty obvious or you know what i'll make it specifically danny ainge nice um, i like that 
because I think the players, if they get out of Utah, aren't necessarily in the worst spot themselves. But I think Ainge was brought in there to help build a consistent contender around Mitchell and Gobert, or one of the two, maybe both of them. And now it's uh, he might be forced to have to sell both and start from scratch, which is not what I think he signed up for. So I think Danny Ainge might have just walked into a situation where he's all of a sudden rebuilding and trying to get, you know, Paolo and Chet Holmgren people and not trying to build around established all-stars like Gobert and Mitchell. So if they bring Danny Ainge in and he then loses Donovan Mitchell or Gobert or both, and that leads Quinn Snyder to not re-sign and be extended. Yep. That would be such a disaster. This supposed, you know. Meanwhile, the Celtics look amazing. <laughs> for, yeah, for letting him move on because Brad Stevens is a real life genius. But um, yeah, that's a good one. All right, last pick in the draft. Who you got? Who have I gone with? I went with Milwaukee. I went with Miami. I want to pick a player here. Someone who's got got some pressure on them from a player standpoint. If they're all healthy. Jokic. If Jokic gets destroyed in the first round, no, honestly, I, I, don't, I don't think Jokic is anything. My heart's not in there. Me. My heart's not even Lu- in that. Luca going out I, three straight first rounds. Is it bad that that I'm just trying to pull a third out of my All right, hat? Here? Wait, 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 Austin, 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 yeah. Austin. Yeah. Flipping, flipping this on you. Okay. Give me some. Give me someone with a ton to gain if they. Oh pull it off is it is it durant having finally done it with the nets and his own team is it uh oh i mean that's steph, they have to win they have to steph, win a championship Booker, to like yeah who so, uh who has I, the most to gain from i think having an i think john ja morant i think if john morant takes his team because he's so young and he's played so well but it's almost like they they don't believe it because he's so young and if this was his first year taking that next step to superstardom if Ja takes his team to the finals, and Durant has to win it all to to get your to get your pie in the sky situation. If Ja just takes his team to the finals here, I think that this is the biggest step forward in his career that he gets elevated into the top three players in the league for the next twenty years. Wow, love that. Uh, and I also think if he shows out right now as a twenty-two year old, you might get other superstars being like. Get me to Memphis to play yeah. with John Morant. Good they fried have, chicken. They, they seem to have one or two other spots remaining for guys to bring in to create a you know a permanent core around him. They must, right? Uh, Who else are they even paying on that team? No, not one single person on their team makes over ten million. Wow, that's insane. Get me to Memphis. Brown bag I think chicken. Let's go. I think maybe I think maybe Steven Adams. I don't know. But or yeah, I don't I think maybe that's it. Yeah, I feel like if Crazy, they were making a, an NBA Finals run and they were great and needed to bring people in, Stephen Adams would restructure his contract to win for some sort of New Zealand vacation. <laughs> All right, I think that wraps us up uh, for today. We talked a lot about bets. We put in some live bets on the show. Joined by Austin. Sad that we couldn't have been joined by Gibby. He gave us a uh, last-minute <laughs> shafting. He's not, he probably is not going to listen to this, so we can we can tell like it is. <laughs> He screwed us over at the last minute, <laughs> but we he's always invited back for future pods. A lot of pressure um, on his next episode, given this uh, this send off. That is, if he, yeah, he's if got he he's got to come he's got to come prepared next time. All right, Austin, thank you for being here. I'll probably see you in a week. Take thank care. you for having me. Great to talk with you.